night and welcome everyone to the Total Soccer Show. It's a German-themed show, so I'm going with a German introduction. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me today is a man who I hope has fully recovered from his version of the Hot Ones Challenge. It's Manuel Veit. Manuel, are you feeling better after your battle with legally certified hot wings? Yeah, I thought the Veva was a joke. Well, <laughs> joke is on me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so what, are you a Hot Wings connoisseur? I saw you posting about this on Twitter, that you signed your waiver, you ate your wings. I appreciated your breakdown of the flavor and the intensity. I also appreciated <laughs> your personal mild breakdown uh, when the heat really intensified. Oh, I love hot food. I, I really uh-huh. do. Uh, I enjoy hot food quite a bit. And it's really seldom that... It completely blindsides me. <laughs> and they did. I was destroyed. I absolutely destroyed. And you know, it was one of those things where, uh, first of all, shout out to uh, to the, the, the guys that did this, the, the new hot stuff, I think they're called. And it's a local company here in Victoria. Um, fantastic flavors with all the wings. It was just the really hot ones that mm-hmm. like you had to sign a waiver for. And it was something like you first, you bite into it and you're like, this is actually really good. You know, like I assume it was like some Scorpio pepper, like probably some habanero in there. And then you're like, you eat a second one, you're still okay. And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it intensifies. And it and just then intensifies. It gets, yeah. it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And yeah. Hey, that's a good way to segue into talking about Schalke. <laughs> um, <laughs> it all started so well, didn't it? Yeah, It really did. And the then first it got two bites were all good. And uh, <laughs> Oh, man. I did not mean for that to be the segue, but oh, it does God. feel appropriate. Now so there's a, bur- there's a burning you- sensation at Schalke, uh, and I, I think everybody's trying to figure out what happened and why they made why they made the decisions they did. It's definitely a flaming hot mess to stay on the, uh, the hot wing. <laughs> uh, so we are going to talk about a lot of different Bundesliga clubs, or at least a few of them. Um, for people who have given uh, me stick about not talking about Wolfsburg, I do have a couple questions about them. We'll see if we get to them because I want to mm. start with Schalke, who Bundesliga commentator James Thorogood referred to as a club who continued to die a new death every weekend. That felt bleak but also accurate. This past weekend, they lost 5-1 to Stuttgart and had, to use Manuel's terminology, a purge. Uh, who has been given their marching orders at the club and how much stock are you putting in the rumors that a player mutiny was a factor in that decision? Oh, wow. Um, I, <laughs> you can take I, those I, as two parts. Let's go with who's gone and why, and then we can talk about what the player involvement. First of all, I'm a massive fan, fan of James Thorogood. We have him on our mm-hmm. show quite regularly. So those who don't know about the gig pressing or weekly Bundesliga mm-hmm. podcast, we, we have him on there regularly. He's, he's a wonderful human being. And uh, a real wordsmith. I, I, I haven't heard him say this, but I think he's, as always, quite bang on. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's who, who has been fired at Schalke. So um, let's go through the list because it's, it's a substantial one. <laughs> it's a one. list. <laughs> <laughs> you know, first we'll start with the coach. This, this is coach, uh, it was coach number five, right? No, coach number five that was fired. Yeah. So Christian Groß gone. Sporting director, uh, sorry, director of sport. We mm-hmm. have to We have to make sure that we get the differences here because this is important later on in the show, right? Director yeah. of sport, Jochen Schneider, gone. Team manager, or sometimes also referred to as the sporting director, Sasha Rieder, gone. Assistant coach, Rainer Wiedmeier, gone. And you know, for good measures, they threw in the athletic trainer in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, poor guy. You know, I feel like 
wer eine Leute hat. I'm not sure what he exactly did wrong, but fired as well, right? So, yeah, it was a, it's, it's a substantial list. Um, you know, in fairness, director of sport, Jochen Schneider, was supposed to be gone at the end of the season anyways. Uh, Christian Groß would have probably been gone at the end of the season as well. Sasha Rita did surprise me a little bit because, you know, he seemed like he seemed like the person that they had kind of as a backup um, mm -hmm. in charge of Schneider and sort of like grooming as the man to maybe eventually take over. But I guess, um, you know, if you do a purge, you might as well do it right and get rid of everyone. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we're laughing, but it, it is, it's, it's kind of comical because like the situation is, uh, is, is so nuts. You know, we were talking about the um, third largest football institution mm -hmm. in, in Germany. You know, and that's um, if you include the DFB, right? The DFB being largest, the German Football Association, the Bayern Munich being the second largest, and then Schalke. Schalke larger, have more members than Borussia Dortmund. And a lot of people keep forgetting that. So it's a substantial club with 200,000 members. You know, it's, it's, it's a big institution. And they have gone from being, you know, second in the Bundesliga to Dominico Tedesco a few years ago. Although that was a year where, you know, you could finish second with a 450 points. Mm -hmm. to essentially getting relegated to it being potentially one of the worst teams to ever be relegated from the Bundesliga. And that's an achievement, Tyler. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. It's not maybe the most like noble of achievements, no. the most celebrated of achievements. I want to talk about some of those players who might have been involved or might not have been involved. But since you brought it up about that 2018 season, yeah. I was looking it up. As you said, that's when they finished second. They brought in Bentaleb. They brought in Harit. They brought in mm. Konoplyanka, to name just a few. And it feels like, oh, they were bringing in people. Things are still positive. And yet I look at that squad and it looks very very familiar in that there are a lot of the same names it doesn't seem like they've moved people on brought in new new faces so while they're finishing second and that seems like a success it also feels like that is sort of the start of things not going well would you say the roots are there or do the roots go even further back yeah there was a lot of money spent i mean mm -hmm. we had we had the money league come out the other day right and um it's from deloitte i believe they do it every year and Schalke, one of the 20 biggest clubs in Europe financially. So it's a substantial team, but they have spent a lot of money on, you know, names. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really struggled to use a different terminology for this because Nabil Bentaleb, yeah, that's a name. Um, Yevgen Konoblanka, such an odd transfer, right? Yeah. Um, Amina Harid, you see flashes of him doing well, and every once in a while you think, like, okay, this is a talent that could maybe one day be a good player, but then um, you see all these other things, these other, other issues that creep up on him, and it, it just seems like there was a lot of deals put in place where it was almost signed, players sign, being signed by name mm -hmm. through various networks without the actual structure of the, of the club in mind and then at the same time you have players leaving um on free transfers or you know in in the case of uh Leroy Sané they, they thought that they're going to get these 50 million euros from Manchester City and they did and then that money not being really well reinvested into the club right I mean any other club in in Europe they would have taken that money and put it into the infrastructure but they put it into guys like Bentaleb that they paid 20 million euros for or like Conoblanca would you also paid a substantial amount of money for. And it doesn't seem like there ever was a plan in place to really build a homogeneous group of players, right? 
And whenever they came close to maybe building a homogeneous group of players, you would have players that really identified with the club belief on free transfers. And that's a, that's a theme that I think is really quite interesting. The amount of player capital that was wasted at this club, not only by the current regime, who I actually don't really blame all the players that have been recently, all the people that have been recently purged. I have a hard time blaming them because they were, they were basically trying to build something on a very shaky foundation. So what do you think is responsible for that shaky foundation? Because there are just like, to your point, there are so many players. You could form a very good starting 11 with players that have left Schalke on a free or for very little money. I even forgot Mesut Ozil would be on that list. <laughs> that like They've lost so many names, Manuel Neuer in there as well. Like I know part of that is policy that they're just kind of not willing to negotiate with Bayern Munich, but... Also, I feel like some of it is just sort of short-sightedness. So who are the people who maybe, or who is the person who you would sort of point to as being responsible for the largest share of what's gone wrong at Schalke? Oh, that's such a difficult <laughs> question. <laughs> because I, I do have culprits in mind, but you know, you have to be so careful of what you say, we <laughs> point fingers to, because we're talking about large amounts of money. Mm-hmm. And let's use deals that... Sure. Raise your eyebrows mm-hmm. instead. And I think people can come to the right conclusion think, looking at who was in charge at the time and thinking of what may have gone wrong. Let's do it that way. I always have to think of Alexander Nubel. Here's a player that got promoted to be the number one goalkeeper um, in Schalke's squad. The Nubel's management asked for a long time to have his contract renewed, right? Because there was a clause in there that if he doesn't play a certain amount of games, he would automatically be allowed to go on loan to another team. And um, if he does play a certain amount of games, he would get an automatic contract extension for a, for a single year and then be a free agent the year after, right? Um, that clause was overlooked or forgotten or not communicated well within the club sport at the time, you know? And led to more or less Alexander Nübel leaving on a free transfer to Bayern Munich. And that's the sort of oversight that cannot happen. I mean, we're talking about a goalkeeper that on the open market would have probably gone for 30 million euros. As far as you understand, sorry to interrupt for a moment, but like how, because to me, when you think about these clubs that are dealing with so much money and dealing with so much international coverage and people looking at their finances and big name players. Like there's, I have this expectation, this understanding that they're this 24th century organization where everything is organized and streamlined and figured out. And that just feels like such a, a relatable mistake of like, Oh yeah, we forgot to write down when that thing expired or we forgot to write down the specific terms of that. Like, is that a, a commonplace thing as you understand it, or does that feel like a problem unique to clubs that maybe aren't as organized as others? It's the sort of thing that happens to you in football manager, isn't it? It really is. And that's kind of where, <laughs> that's a more succinct way of putting it, is that feels yeah. like a thing that I would do when I've been playing FIFA or football manager for a couple hours, get a little bit lazy and forget certain things that are in there that then yeah. end up costing me. Only that you can't go to your backup safe to fix it. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they tried. I'm sure they tried. Yeah, they did. I mean, it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's the sort of thing that cannot happen if you want to be mm-hmm. on that sort of level. And I mean, it, it goes 
it runs through the club, right? I mean, Leon Goretzka is another example that left on a free transfer. And here's a play. I mean, so many people are blaming Bayern for gobbling up yet another free free deal, right? But the the truth is that <laughs> Schalke did not ensure that this player was on a long-term deal. So, you know, there's again capital just leaving. Max Meyer, I mean, I understand that the agent was difficult to deal with, but... Um, and that his career then at Crystal Palace wasn't the best, right? So that's maybe a little bit of a saving grace for, for Schalke in retrospect that it didn't work out for him at Crystal Palace. But he was a very important player for them at the time. And they let him walk for free and never really were able to replace him. And that is, that is the sort of stuff where you just, uh, where you just throw your head, your hands mm-hmm. over your head and think like, how, how is this possible? Right. So. Yeah, it's. I think it's. It doesn't bode well for the people that were in charge mm-hmm. before Schneider. And I mean, Schalke was always a club that was very chaotic. Let's um, let's don't talk around it. I mean, it, even before Schneider's predecessor, Christian Heidel, Axel Schuster, and all the other guys that were in charge, there was other people that also, you know, had problems running this club, whether it was on them or maybe the structure of the club. Or maybe on Tunis, you know, the all-powerful president who had to step down because of racist remarks. And, um, you know, to his credit, financed this club more or less through his philanthropy. Um, we cannot forget that. And I think that it's, it's not a coincidence that Tunis rightfully has been gone, right? Because of what he said, someone who says racist things should not be in charge of a football club. There's no two opinions about this. But... Um, at the same time, it's no coincidence that once his philanthropy kind of ended and um, he was kind of gone, a lot of things even further broke at the club, right? Mm-hmm. Which doesn't doesn't speak well for the entire structure of what's going on at Schalke. And no. I mean, that's that's just like that, that, and then you're talking fundamentals, right? You're talking about a BM of two hundred thousand people, uh, club membership, club Schalke fans with a lot of influence and power but i see also just the fact that um that the decision that the decision making process or the people that get put into the club to make the decision it's kind of like a revolving door you know there's no stability here and to say okay this is maybe due because this is a large membership club kind of closes the eyes towards the fact that borussia dortmund and bayern munich are also large membership run clubs that you know, they have their own individual problems at time, but in the grand scheme of things are very well run, right? Well, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up, if you don't mind me interjecting, yeah. because like, to your point about Schalke letting players leave or letting players leave for cheap, like that's the thing that I, I also equate with, say, Borussia Dortmund, the aforementioned, where whether it's Jaden Sancho and they have their price and that's what they want, or Robert Lewandowski, we're not selling him, we'll let his contract expire and then you can have him. It feels like they at times take that same approach. I, and I think my assumption is that they do it from a more organized, planned, structured approach. That might just be my assumption. And I would love for you to correct me because it could well be that they maybe are needing to look at Schalke and treat them as a cautionary tale and change some things. But I guess my underlying assumption is that Dortmund have a plan in place, an idea of how they want to go about recruiting and selling players. Schalke, maybe it's a bit more mismatched, a bit more. We'll figure it out on the day. There's, there's a one very big fundamental difference between the two, um, between the three, sorry, because I'm going to throw Bayern in there as well, right? Sure. Um, the three largest membership 
clubs in the Bundesliga. And um, the difference between Bayern, Dortmund on one hand and Schalke on the other hand is that Bayern and Dortmund have established professional companies that run the professional departments of the football clubs. So in Dortmund's case, they went on the stock market, right? The, the chair company that <laughs> had a very poor start to its beginning because they went almost bankrupt in the early 2000s, right? But have since recovered under new leadership and are now one of the wealthiest clubs in, in European football. They're also on that money list. They're very high up on that money list, right? But they essentially established a professional company that runs runs the football operation as a separate entity. And the members basically elect people to run to this company, right? Um, and I think that is a huge difference. And Bayern Munich have the same thing. Bayern are what they call a um, closed joint stock company, right? So they're not openly traded on the on the stock market, but they give out shares to, to certain companies like Allianz is an example, Adidas is an example. Um, th those are the kind of, you know, those are the kind of influences that they have at the club. And again, the members elect a president who then also serves on the board, right? But there is an actual professional entity that operates and oversees the operations of the club. And other teams in, in Germany that also have large membership bases have gone undergone similar processes um, with mixed results. You know, sometimes these things take time. Stuttgart is a recent example that right after they went professionalized the board, went down, but now seem to be under very good leadership. Hamburg is another example where it's been very poorly run, right? Um, Schalke have not gone through professionalization yet. And there is quite a lot of resistance among the members to actually undergo this process, to go from um, just being a membership club to actually have a professional entity running the, the football operations. That's not in place at Schalke at the moment. There's a board that is quite large and, and Before we hack on to the size of the board, most football boards in German football are quite large. The decision making, the, the fact that there's membership, a membership basis in the background, you know, having a word means that there is board selected by the members in any case, even if there's a professional company running it. But Schalke's board is quite large and it's completely oper completely run by its members, which can make operations a little bit more difficult. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Well, let's talk about the operations then, because Schalke find themselves in this precarious position. I did see some outlets spinning this as them trying to like desperately figure things out to save themselves from relegation. That feels like a very generous way to put this. To me, it felt like clearing house, getting some people off the books, getting a structure in place for when they're relegated. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I also saw reports that they have a total debt of around 250 million euros. So how do you think, this is a huge question that's probably not for you, I won't even ask you, how do they get out of this? I think what I'll ask is, what is the structure to sort of deal with a crisis like this? Because I think some clubs, you've got the one person who's overseeing everything. Some clubs, you've got a lot of responsibilities delegated. How do you see Schalke's structure enabling them to get out of this or maybe more likely not helping them get out of this? I think they will have to privatize. I think that's that's the only thing you can do at the moment. And that means you know, forming a company that runs that runs the um, the soccer operations, the club, just like Dortmund and Bayern have done, right? And then selling shares, selling minority shares, like you're allowed to in, in German football to do so, right? Um, up to 49.9% of, of the commanding shares. And you're allowed to actually, of your football operations, um, you're allowed to sell even more as long as the membership, um, you know, the membership club has has a controlling stake. Like Hertha is a good example. They have sold, uh, top of my head, 60% of their club, right, mm. um, to uh, Windhorst. Yeah. Um, but that's only the company that runs the football operation. And the voting the voting shares are still 51 plus 1, right? So the membership club still owns 51.1% of the voting shares on the board. So they have, they're nominally still in control, right? But they, they the club... Is actually the club that runs the football operation is owned by someone else, who of course still has to run in tune with the membership club that's in the background. Um, and I think Schalke will probably have to look at a scenario like that, where they say, "Okay, well, we have to privatize the football operations. We'd have to take everything from the first team to the second team, maybe the top youth teams, and privatize them, create a new joint stock company, or." Um, you know, a limited company or whatever you want to call it. There's many different forms of um, company structures that you can introduce in German football and then sell some of those shares in order to raise capital. That's really the only solution at this point. Now, the question is, of course, 
who in their right mind is willing to do that at the moment? Who in their right mind is going to step in and, and invest that sort of money, right? Who in their right mind is willing to buy shares in a club that has 250 million euros aboutish in debt, possibly? Um, you know, we have to always be careful when we use numbers like that. So possibly in debt of 250 million euros. And uh, that's a very difficult question to answer. And I, you know, that gets us back to the thought that really there's only one man that can do it. And that's the guy that they kicked out. And that's Tunis, right? Because like there isn't, Gelsenkirchen isn't this, isn't Munich. It's not Hamburg. It's not Berlin. It's not, not even Stuttgart. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a place in Germany that doesn't have a lot of investors willing to invest in a club like that. What is, I've never been there. Like what, what is the, is it similar to like the plight that the Manchester clubs face where it's just not the most fun place to live year round? Is it the, cause I know it has the industrial background, mm. it has the mining background. Is it more just of an industrial city and that's a big part of it? Yeah, it's, it's, it, that's a very big part of it. I mean, the, the Ruhr, the Ruhr region has some really nice areas too. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to throw it on one in one pot to real pot, um, but um, it's Gelsenkirchen is definitely a lot rougher to live in than Dortmund, for example, right? Um, Gelsenkirchen, I've, I've been there. Um, I personally would not want to live there, um, but maybe I'm pampered. I, I mean, I'm from Munich, right? I have a very, <laughs> a very different outlook on things. And now I live on the Canadian West Coast. I mean, like obviously, Gelsenkirchen is not for me. Um, I don't want to say it's an, an ugly city, but it is. It is. It has a roughness to it, right? I think for to maybe put it in context, it's probably very similar to Detroit. You know, okay, that kind of Rust Belt feel mm-hmm. to it. You know, it, it's it's the Michigan of Germany with all very similar issues. And some cities in that area do better than others. Like Dortmund has reinvented itself, for example, right? You can even say the same about Essen. So there is money in that general region, but there's also a lot of football clubs in that general region, mm-hmm. right? So you can't just like say, oh yeah, look, we're all like in this megapolis of 18 million people. Um, someone is going to invest us. Like in theory, like, you know, there's been former Schalke managers that have sort of claimed that like we are just as attractive as Berlin or Frankfurt or Munich or Stuttgart or Hamburg because we're like in this megapolis of 18 million people. It's like, well, you are, but you know, these are still distinct very much their own cities. They might have all grown together into this one huge thing, but they like, they're still distinct own cities with their distinct separate football cultures, right? So like, unless you are going tomorrow and you merge all those teams and make a mega FC Ruhrpott, yeah. you, it, it, there isn't really that much room, right? I mean, maybe you're seeing a development now where the region really only is going to support one or two teams, and that team could be Borussia Dortmund now because they're in the in the in the, in the driver's seat, right? Because of Schalke's problems. We're sad to see it, but there is a possibility that that could happen. That all the investment in that region is now going to flow to that one single club. It, it's possible. We we don't know, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it's it's a difficult one because like, where is that money going to come from? And well, with that in mind, then I won't even ask you to figure out where that money's going to come from because it sounds yeah. like there are various answers, all of them complicated. I will ask you another complicated question about Schalke. We can move on from them in a bit, but like, what does success look like for them in the next couple of years? Given that relegation seems certain, they've got 
Uh, I think Weston McKinney is no longer on loan. I guess that deal has yeah. been made permanent. They do still have Ozan Kabak, who could be made permanent. They have a few other players who could bring in some money. Are you expecting relegation clear out sort of any name that has any amount of dollar signs or euros next to it? And then we're going very academy, very bare bones squad. Yeah, but I count as the question, who still, like, who in the squad still is worth any money? Well, there's that. <laughs> I mean... Well, let's go to your valuations, shall we? That's a beautiful feature of Transfer Market. Transfer, is it Transfer Market or Transfer Market, by the transfer way? Transfer Market, yeah. Okay. But transfer Market means Transfer Market, but I, I yeah. And when we're on the subject, I'm just going to keep jumping around before we get back to that question. Is there a way to change the currency on the site, or does it always have to be dollars if I'm in America? You know, this is such a loaded question because that's something that we're debating internally right now. Uh-huh. Uh, so stay tuned. Um, <laughs> it's it's a very, very complex question, as I've learned, because I've been at the company now for a year, right? And I thought this would be easier, but um, much. I don't want right, well, to bore people with the, the inner workings of our currency issue. But if you want euros, you can go to .com. Um, if you want uh, pounds, uh, you can go, go to .co.uk. Oh, I personally, so and I mean, I run a .us site, so please, everyone go to your .us first. But our the, okay. the accurate sums are the euro sums right, because it's, it's, it's extremely difficult to switch currency on a daily basis, you know, because currency change every day, and that's very difficult to do on a massive database like ours. You have to remember we have every, we have a million players in our database, but all of them have market values. It's um, it's substantial, right? So yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. I didn't know the .com thing. I was on yeah. .us, so I, I think now I'll switch over it to give you the valuations. But it does seem like it's yeah. like the, the players you would maybe expect to have a little bit more of a price tag by them. It would be, I think, Suat Serdar and Amina Harit were the yeah. two most valuable ones. But then I guess Ozan Kabak would be part of that. Uh, so maybe those are the three that you could make some money off of. Yeah, and I was actually asked a question today about Ozan Kabak and um, the, the finer workings of that deal. And... I want to point out that Liverpool do not have an obligation to buy, right? So they they can make the loan permanent if they want to, but they don't have to. You know, that's that's going to be up to Michael Edwards' um, evaluation on Jurgen Klopp, of course, as well. Those two are going to probably make an evaluation at the end of the season. My feeling is that they are going to make that deal permanent because, you know, why else sign him? For that amount of money and why else would Schalke agree to it but they don't have to and I think that's an important one to point out because like that was a question that I was faced with this morning and I think it's it's interesting to note that Kabak there is a chance that Kabak could return and that they might have to find another buyer for him right so there is a chance still that they could make money of him my suspicion is though that they would probably get less money for him in a deal in the summer than what Liverpool would pay for them like in the deal that's yeah. already agreed for, because like obviously he's now at Liverpool, and I think he's doing reasonably well there for a young defender who basically went with no confidence to a club that is struggling with confidence. You know, everyone who followed Liverpool knows this. Um, but yeah, just to point that out, there is no obligation to buy, but I do expect that they will exercise that option. So that's a little bit of money. Um, McKenny, the deal is now official mm-hmm. as of today, right? Uh, Juventus exercised the option. Um, that There's a great example because they didn't have to exercise that option either. It was an obligation to buy, I think, after a certain amount of games. And they opted to trigger that option early because he's been good there, right? He's been a good player for them. And I think it makes sense. Um, it's, a, it's a good investment for Juventus. And I think McKenny really benefited from it as well. 
and it's, he looks like a player who will have a very good career at Juventus, which is fantastic. Juventus is one of the best teams in the world, so um, good for him. What I think is interesting is the fact that that deal is structured, right? Um, it's a deal broken up into six different payments, I believe, of 3 million euros. Um, and Dallas will get a certain percentage of that. So it's not like Schalke are getting all of a sudden this huge amount of money all at once. Um, it's a deal that's going to come in triggering in, um, in, in small portions. So, you know, that's a little bit of money. Um, going through the squad, I mean, who do you capitalize on? It's it's rough. I didn't realize how many people were on loan until yeah. I looked at that roster, and that's a big part of it. It's at least eight or nine names, and I would say starting names at that, including Kolasinac, including Mustafi, William uh, Pacencia. I don't really know how to pronounce that one. I apologize for butchering it. But there are many names that will be gone uh, due to them being on loan. No. It really does give you a pretty bare-bones squad overall. I would say that Suat Seada, he's a current German national team player, so... Yeah. They'll probably get 20 million euros for him. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but, you know, top of my head, if you're a central midfielder, German national team player, 23 years old, yeah, pretty safe to say there's a market for you. Um, so they'll probably get a decent amount of money for him. I reckon that they probably get a good amount of money for Amina Harit. Um, probably not as much as they expected when they first signed him for 8 million, but you know, they're probably going to make a little bit of money for him. I would say between 10 and 15 million, someone is going to pay that. Someone's going to take that risk because he is a good player fundamentally. Right. And he just needs a good environment. Yes. And then, um, he is, he is a player. While well, you think on that one, I will agree with you and say, yeah. I, I find him very good at times and very frustrating at times. Yeah. He does feel like a player who, if put into a, a kind of consistent system where he is playing regularly in the same spot and doesn't have a lot of rotation and doesn't have this player's there. Oh no, he's been sold and this one's been loaned in, but he doesn't quite fit. I do think he maybe with some consistency around him finds more consi- consistency himself. Uh, so I think, yeah, you're right. So outside our, I mean, Harit, anybody else who you think could maybe make them a little bit of cash? Yeah. Maybe Nito Rahman, but okay. is he going to make them as much cash as they paid for when they, when they signed them from Fortuna Dusseldorf, right? That's a, that's a very good question. And, uh, at what point do you say, okay, look, cash is great, but uh, we need a side here that also gets promoted from Bundesliga 2. And that's not easy. Bundesliga 2 is, some would say, probably the best second division in the world. And we look again at Hamburg. They've never gotten out of it. Heck, the result against St. Pauli suggests that they might not get out of it this year again, despite substantial investment, right? It's not an easy league to get out of, and you need a lot of quality to be successful in, in the second division. Because remember, in Germany, we only have 18 teams in the, in the first division, and we have 18 teams in the second division, despite having the, the, the country with the biggest population in all of Europe, right? Which means there's a lot of very big clubs in those first two divisions. Heck, there's a lot of very big clubs in the third division. In my club, 1860, is in, in the third division. Kaiserslautern is in the third division. Magdeburg, Dresden, Hansa Rostock. You know, these are, these are former German, East German champions that are playing in the third division. You know, there's Magdeburg has won a European cup. Um, the, it's not like you're going down and it's like, okay, well, great. Now we're just going to invest have this club that just like just went down and because we're Schalke, we're going to go straight up. History suggests it's not that easy. And so you have to, it's, it's a very fine line that they have to walk between um, having to raise money because of 
the obvious depth. Um, but also having a squad that can actually be successful and go back up. And that's really difficult to achieve. Final question, and we can make it, or final question about Shaka, I should say. We can make it a hypothetical because I don't want to put you in, in too much hot water. But let's say you were advising somebody like just picking a random name, Matthew Hoppy. Uh, mm. Would you advise him to stay? Do you think it would be a good idea for a young forward with a little bit of Bundesliga experience to stay and get much more match experience with a weekend Schalke next year where it does feel like he'll be a key performer for them? Or would you say maybe 19 years old, see if anybody's interested, see if the club have any interest in selling you? Yeah, Matthew Hoppe has signed a new contract that also will keep him at the club at the second division. Mm-hmm. I know that um, a lot of clubs were very keen on signing him. Um, I I want to use a word of caution when it comes to Matthew Hoppe and um, the... I mean, I spoke to him a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago now, um, on the piece that's now up on Transfermarkt, right? And I know there was a few other journalists that also spoke to him. And the one article that stood out to me, and I don't want to bash the article because it's very well written, um, you know, so I want to be very careful about how I word this. But did you see the whole glimmer of hope, Tyler? No. From the Sports Illustrated? It was um, the weekly feature. Um, massive, massive, like front page with him celebrating a goal, and it said the glimmer of hope, Matthew Hope, like glimmer of hoppy, ah, right? Right. I see, I see, I see. Yeah. Um, and I just thought to myself, this is getting into uh, Freddie Adu territory here. Hmm. We have to be careful, right? This is a 19 year old kid we're talking about. He scored, he scored that hat trick. Um, you know, had a fantastic performance. Has since scored another two goals. And this, and the club is sort of to blame for this too. So I don't want to blame him. I also kind of think the club has to be really careful of what's, what they're doing here because it seemed like they almost tried to get the most out of the story, which I mean, the Bundesliga has been trying and you and I know this very well to get big on the US market. So the story is a great US story, right? It is the sort of story that you need to PR, but you have to be also very careful. We're talking about a 19 year old kid that has played. 13 games in the Bundesliga, um, has scored five goals in the Bundesliga. Before playing in the Bundesliga, played 16 games in the Regionalliga, the fourth division, right, and scored one goal there. He was called up uh, to the first team because he scored a couple goals against the first team in a training match. And we're not doing a young kid's development any favor by basically saying he's the glimmer of hope for Schalke, right? I think he would be well-served in his development to go down with them mm-hmm. and just play and maybe also be out of the focus for a few months, maybe a year or so, because it's 19, right? Yep. Um, we're talking about a good talent here, nothing more. And I think that's really where we are in his development. And, you know, once he goes up, look look at how long Josh, Josh Sargent took in the Bundesliga, where I think still think is a great player, but it takes time. This is this yeah. is one of the best leagues in the world, and you know, every once in a while, we have these like we have these stars that pop up. I mean, it kind of reminded me of the hype that we had with some um, North American stars. You know, the um, Tim Tebow comes to mind, or um, the Knicks player uh, Liam Lang, Jimmy Lin. Jimmy yeah. Lin. You know, yeah. we're hyping them to the, to the sky, and then it just collapses all onto them. And we have to be careful that we don't do that here. I think that's all I'm trying to say. 
All right. I think that is a measured and responsible answer. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I would appreciate your perspective on the financials of some more Bundesliga clubs because Schalke's financial situation obviously compounded by uh, the pandemic. I am assuming that is the case for a lot of other clubs, maybe Bayern being the exception because it's Bayern Munich. Uh, but which clubs do you think are in relatively strong positions and which ones do you think are going to be needing to do some selling at a minimum this summer? Yeah, so the Bundesliga, um, I did a piece on this based on the De- Deloitte findings, right? Their restart uh, meant that they actually of all the big sports leagues in Europe they were the ones that got hit the least. Mm-hmm. Um, that I mean, don't get me wrong; they're all in, in dire financial problems, right? <laughs> this pandemic has been not good for sports, period. But the Bundesliga got through this quite well because their restart was exceptional, right? And then the restart opened the doors for all the other major leagues around the world to come back. I mean, that's that, that's that's a fundamental truth. We wouldn't be covering sports right now if the Bundesliga hadn't said, "Let's try this," right? And did successfully relaunch and did manage to finish the season before anyone else did. And, you know, did it in a manner that was relatively safe. Um, and it did secure yeah. the financial future of pretty much all the clubs. And um, surprisingly, it actually meant that we have an additional club now in, in, in the money league in Eintracht Frankfurt, right? Which, which bodes well for the league. I think the league has done quite well. Um, the fact that they also were able to sign a television contract that is almost identical with the one that's previous. We all know no other league is going to be able to do this. Italy is having problems. France, you know, the, the mess with mm-hmm. Media Pro um, has dominated the headlines there. A lot of clubs there are in huge problems, problems that are only surfacing now. I suspect the Premier League television deal will be less. Um, so the league has actually done quite well. And it's hard to speak of winners in COVID, but I think they will be among the smaller losers. Um, in, in that regard, if that makes any sense, right? It absolutely does, and I think is 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 well phrased. Um, I'm going to keep it negative uh, because why not? We'll eventually talk positive things. Um, but Hearts of Berlin have me confused because uh, they don't feel like they should be struggling. They are presently, I think, they're 15th, 18 points from 23 games. Net spend of $25 million this year, $100 million last campaign. Lucas Toussaint, uh, Christoph Piontek, Jean Cordoba, to name a few coming in. Is this them sort of like sometimes when you get investment, you get new players coming in, it does require a little bit of time to get everybody into the system, to get everything figured out. Is that where they are? Are these necessary growing pains or do you see problems there at Hertha? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. It feels like the sugar daddy arrived, right? And um, the, the, the people that the people that were in charge of the club were not well-versed with dealing with the money that was all of a sudden available to them. And um, it kind of reminds you a little bit of the early days at City, doesn't it? It does. Right? It does. So I personally think that I'm not surprised that they are where they are because you saw them sign a lot of players, but you didn't really necessarily see them sign the the, the players in the positions that where they needed them the most. Mm-hmm. And it also it's also a lot of turnover, which is never good. You know, it's never good in any sport. And I think too that they're quite lucky that in Mainz and Schalke 
and Bielefeld to a certain extent. There are just a few teams out there that are just so bad that you know, they're just not in danger of necessarily going down. I know that in the table there are uh, even on points with Bielefeld, but I'm pretty sure that that Hertha will stay up. And it's an interesting one for me because I think they're going to stay up. And I think that there is a, there's a very good foundation there now that needs to still a lot of improvement, right? Um, the turnover is far from being over. And I think that when Freddy Bobic, and it looks like it's going to be Freddy Bobic, arrives there, if he does even slightly what he did with Frankfurt, where he had no money, Hertha will be a very good club. Um, but it does definitely seem like a lot of money was poured into and the the early investment just isn't quite, you know, there's like this old, this, it was all built on an old structure that just doesn't hold the the the, the new structure quite yet, right? And I think that's that's where Hertha are at the moment. They, they're not quite, they haven't quite been able to really make it all click because of all the, the, the things and players and personnel that was brought in. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show. And I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic. And all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. So let's say Freddy Bobic comes in. His first call is to you, Manuel, whom he knows. You have a lot of experience with the Bundesliga. You've covered it. You know some things. What are the positions you're telling him to maybe strengthen most quickly? Not even necessarily the names, but where are the areas you think they haven't really invested wisely? Yeah, I would say a center back for sure. Maybe a left back, maybe a right back. Although um, left back Luka Nets, uh, there's a reason why Bayern Munich want him, right? Um, he's, he's very talented. So, he, you know, they might need a left back because he might be gone to Bayern Munich. But, um, yeah, maybe someone who is not just a working horse in, in defensive midfield, you know, get some creativity in there. And maybe also just give these these players some time to actually gel. That's, I think, an, another aspect that, they need and they need a couple of impact players as well. I think there's 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 been a few players signed that where you think, okay, well, Piotek had a good year in in Serie A, but hasn't really had the consistency since. John Cordoba had a great year at Cologne, but um, is he an impact player? Right, um, Matthias Kuna 
Brazilian national team player, wonderful player, uh, scores highlight real goals, but is also hurt a lot. And is he someone who can lead that team? And, you know, I think the idea with Sami Kadir was to have some, bring in some leadership, but he's also old. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's really where I would look at it. I would just tweak it here and there because I think that the talent level is there, but I think there's just some pieces just missing that can just, kind of glue it all together and make it a cohesive unit. So uh, Hertha are missing maybe that leadership that can bring the team together. I would argue so too are Borussia Mönchengladbach. I've been arguing Marco Rosa leaving for Dortmund at the end of the season wouldn't have that much of a negative impact on the squad. They're professionals. It's their last chance to mm. win under him. They're going to kind of focus on the game at hand. Instead, uh, since they announced he was leaving on February 15th, they drew nil-nil with Wolfsburg the day before. They've lost four straight, knocked out of the DFB Pokal. Seems like they're going to be knocked out of the Champions League as well. There are reports of fan unrest. Any chance you think we see Marco Rosa leave before the end of the campaign, given the way things have gone? That's such an interesting question that uh, we've been debating hotly on uh, game pressing, but Uh also have been, you know, Talking about I may have heard that, and it might be why I'm asking. <laughs> various Bundesliga chats, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's 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 such an interesting one because you know when Dieter Hacking was let go, and but was kept in charge until the end of the season, the the club is sort of using that as an example of that it could work. But I think I would argue it's very different when the club says, "Okay, right at the end of the season, we're going to bring in a new head coach." Um, than when the head coach says he's leaving because the players will play for a coach who was let go, right? And who was in favor with all the players. Um, they will sort of, you know, give everything yeah. for him until the end of the season, especially because hacking was liked, which is why he stayed until the end of the season. But if you then a head coach who also, you know, you look at poor Hannes Wolf, he was signed by Marco Rose, Right. Gabriel Mbolo signed by Hannes Rose. Like there's a lot of players that went to the club because of their head coach. Mm-hmm. And then you are saying, well, I'm going to Dortmund. See you later. I'm abandoning the ship. That's a very different scenario. You can't compare that with, with what happened with hacking. It's just not comparable, right? And then as a player, you're pissed. And I get it. And um, you hear all sorts of stories coming out of, out of Mönchengladbach that the club refutes to be uh, not true, right? They're saying it's not true. But you're hearing this stuff and you're saying yeah. like, well, someone is spreading it, right? I mean, like these things are not made up or or maybe if they exaggerated, it means there's still something happening. Like some of the stuff that, that has been reported after um, Rosa made this decision, like, you couldn't have made that up, right? Like, there must be some truth to it, which suggests to me there is a lot of unrest. And I have. I feel that the he doesn't reach the players anymore. That's the sense I'm getting. That the players are not happy with his decision, and I mean, rightfully so. I get his decision too. You know, um, to go to Borussia Dortmund, he seemed destined for that job for quite some time, and I get it. You know, it's an opportunity that doesn't maybe come up for another few years after that. So fair enough, but. Maybe at that point, it would have been just easiest for Gladbach to say, okay, you want to leave? Leave. And for Dortmund to say, okay, you take over right now. That would have probably been the best decision. 
what, what mechanism, like, what would require that to happen now? I'm assuming they would have to change the kind of terms of the deal, probably means more compensation from Dortmund, but yeah. could they theoretically get that done? Well, the exit clause is not due till like summer, right? And they've triggered that. That's, yeah. uh, and in fairness, that's how Gladbach got him in the first place because he had an exit clause at Salzburg and they triggered that and bought him out of his contract using the exit clause. And essentially the same exit clause, I think it's 8 million euros is now used by Dortmund, but it's not due to the summer. So for, to to cause this sort of unrest and upheaval to bring Rosa over would probably cost Dortmund a little bit extra money. But I think that would have been the cleanest thing to do. Yeah. I mean, it would certainly solve some Dortmund problems because they don't seem to have the permanent situation in place, definitely. Mm -hmm. It seems like Gladbach also not doing particularly well at moment. Maybe they should just swap for now. Let's send Terzic over to to Gladbach. I'm sure that would solve everything. In fairness, Dortmund have been very good in recent weeks. You know, they they, yeah. they seem to have they they seem to have turned a switch, which is I mean hilarious. You know, Dortmund under Terzic could reach the Champions League, finish top four, <laughs> um, win the DFB Pokal, and then hire a guy who's probably has not reached the Champions League, gone out of the DFB Pokal in the quarterfinals, and got kicked out by Man City. Looks like the likely scenario right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, while Dortmund. Uh, debate their decisions i'll ask you this it feels like this is a not uniquely but a common thing in germany where you have both players and managers announcing intentions to move to change clubs to demand changes like well ahead of time i think it goes back to lothar Matthias doing that again uh, for gladbach to move to bayern that was back in the 80s i think there are lots of other examples even players moving to the Bundesliga from other clubs, Jordan Shakiri, I think, was announced well in advance. And then Julian Nagelsmann manages an entire season at Hoffenheim mm-hmm. when everybody knows he's leaving. Why is that more common in Germany? Or maybe more accurately, is that more common in Germany? And if so, do you have any ideas as to why it might be? Yeah, I, so it's interesting because Stefan Binkowski brought that up on the podcast this week, right? And I just kind of thought to myself, and I'm like, oh, I thought it was like that everywhere, but uh-huh. maybe it's not. <laughs> you know, I can't, uh, well, see, I can't tell. I guess that's what I mean, because it is always the case that if you're within six months of your contract expiring, yeah. if you get to the January before the summer, you can negotiate. And we do see that. I, I just wonder if maybe there's a, I forget what that's called, a confirmation bias or whatever, where it's like, I notice it more with yeah. Bundesliga teams, and therefore, to me, it happens more often. And it's gotten more extreme. It's gotten more extreme, I feel. Like Nagelsmann saying like entire year before that he's going to leave. Okay. And a lot of eyebrows was raised at the time. And and in fairness, I don't think the experiment worked because Hoffenheim finished eighth. You know, it wasn't like they had the best year ever. They certainly didn't. And I, it's an interesting one because. You think that, okay, maybe this could work being honest and transparent and all that kind of stuff. Right. I mean, if you want to leave, leave and do it not do a clean break. I think that's you serving the interests better. I mean, we have now have this entire thing with Bobich, right? Where he hasn't confirmed that he's going to Hertha, you know, but he's confirmed now that he's going to leave at the end of the season. And Eintracht Frankfurt were very well on course on being in Champions League. Now you have this upheaval and you have no clarity. I, I don't know what the, what the, what the best course mm-hmm. is. Like, is it maybe better to just say like, yeah, I'm leaving at the end of the season. I'm going to ensure that there's a successor and um, I'm going to join this club. Clean break, right? Or do you say right away, okay, like I'm leaving at the end of the season, bye. But then do you go as a club and say, okay, well, in that case, it's probably best that we're going to go separate ways right now, right away, right? 
it's a difficult one to answer because like, I feel like every situation is different and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And look, Eden Terzic is making the most out of it in Dortmund. Hmm. Yeah, he had, a, he, had a, he had a slow start, but, and um, I mean, an argument could be made that maybe Dortmund should have competed for the Bundesliga title, but that Bundesliga title was gone when, when Favre was fired. Let's be honest here. I mean, they were so far behind Bayern yeah. and Leipzig that that title was gone anyway. So, he will finish in the top four. They look very good up against Sevilla. I assume they will go through there. And, you know, the Champions League is an odd one this year because of COVID. I mean, we don't know where home games are going to be. Are we going to have a final tournament? Look at Leipzig last year. They reached the semifinal. Who knows, right? Who knows? Um, so it's it's going relatively well for him. You, you just don't know. It's like, I think it's a case-by-case thing. And when I look at Rosa, I, I'm looking at a case where it's not working. It's obviously not working, right? The players are not happy. There is obviously some problems between the board, Ebal and Rose. Um, you see the hate that Rene Maric, who I actually think is, is a wonderful person, is getting in social media right now because he had the audacity to talk to Erling Haaland after that Pokal match, right? A player that he used to coach at Salzburg and hmm. um, are friends with him because he's already prepping the enemy, right? Right. And that's that's an example where I say like okay well maybe clean break right because it's only going to get worse. What about hear me out three way swap Rosa to Dortmund Terzic to RB Salzburg Jesse Marsh to Gladbach. <laughs> I think I think, Terzic, I, here. I think I solved it. I think Terzic has a future at um, at Borussia Dortmund on, in in uh, Marco Rosa's team. So fine, yeah, um, but. It's going to be interesting who is going to be the next head coach at, at Gladbach because I know that they approached Adi Hütter and Adi Hütter is going to stay in Frankfurt. Yeah, he ruled himself out, right? Yeah, he ruled himself out, which I mean, fair enough. And Frankfurt could finish in the top four or top five, right? They're going to be in Europe and uh, Bobic or not. This is a club with a big future. And I think that Frankfurt are a sleeping giant and they have been slowly waking up over, over the last few years, you know, with winning the cup. Um, consistently finishing in that top echelon. And they're only really one Champions League appearance away from being a giant in German football, just because of the size of the city, um, the people that work there, right? Um, you and I have been to Frankfurt. We it, have. Yeah, it's, 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 it is, it is, feels like a club that is just waiting to, to wake up, right? And I have a very silly question about Frankfurt <laughs> on that note. We talked a little bit about like Gelsenkirchen yeah. like is reflected in Schalke. There's a little bit of that. Like Frankfurt, as I understand it, is is a financial like city. It's, yeah. it's very much rooted in the Giant, financial industry. Right. Yeah. Is that reflected in the way Frankfurt operates? Like do Eintracht Frankfurt like sort of do a good job in their business? Are they reflective of the sort of financial acumen within that city? And Frankfurt is such an interesting place right because um it has that financial power but yeah. the, the the financial power similar to what what's the case in the london city right wakes up in the morning drives to frankfurt works in frankfurt leaves the office in the evening and then drives back to bad hanau or wherever you know one of those like suburbs that are very rich and the city is very much working class right hmm. so you you have that very strong contrast having said that I do get the sense that the financial powers in Frankfurt are slowly waking up to the fact that they have a club like Frankfurt in the city. And I think, you know, you see it now with the the, the stadium, first Commerzbank Arena, now Deutsche Bank Arena, right? 
um, the the amount of money that is being put into the stadium. I think the, the the financial institutes in Frankfurt are waking up to the fact that there is a club operating in their city limits that is now well run, and that could represent them very well. And I think when that moment happens, when those two synergies collide, then Frankfurt will be a top four team forever in Germany. You know, it will be a contender in European football. It's just waiting for that 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 kiss to wake it up, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they're so close. And I think Bobic is has to be credited for that because he got them to that level. And I, I think he may be recognizing now that he might not be able to get them any further, that it might need some new input to get them over that final hump, which is fair enough if he recognizes this and this is his reason to leave, then fair enough, right? But I feel like they're so close. And they are such a natural opposite pole to what Munich have, right? Because of, of that financial power that Frankfurt have. And I think that's, this is a, this is a city that's just wait, waiting to have a major European club. All right. So we, we have one potential top four team that are well run. We have another one, I would say, in the form of uh, Wolfsburg, currently third in the table. They scored the fewest goals of any team in the top six, but they've also conceded the fewest in the entire league. So that's pretty good. How good is that defense? Why is it so good? And how much credit should we give to John Brooks? Should it be 99% of the credit or just fully 100% of the credit? <laughs> what do the listeners want to hear? Uh, probably like 104%, probably. Yeah, well, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, we should talk about them because yeah. uh, I think like Joe and I did a sort of Americans Abroad recap a couple weeks ago, and we noticed John Brooks like diving into a challenge, getting beat, and I think a goal comes directly from it. We were critical. We had a few listeners point out that this has been a very strong defensive pairing that haven't actually conceded many goals and have been pretty solid throughout. So I did want to ask about that defense. Well, um, in fairness, Lacroix has been amazing this season. Oh, I see. So you're giving him 104% of the credit. <laughs> Not I saying see. that. I'm just saying he's <laughs> probably been one of the biggest revelations in German football. You know, a, a talented defender, ball-moving defender, who's been very, very good. Having said that, John Anthony Brooks is getting a ton of credit from the people that run Wolfsburg. Hmm. And I think that is... Because he he is a, he's a solid stay at home defender, right? And he allows someone like Lacroix to play his game the way he plays, and then that's that's a very important attribute to have. And we shouldn't dismiss that at all. And Wolfsburg have been very good this year. Um, I mean, they are as we record, they're they're playing a quarterfinal against Leipzig uh, in, in in a few minutes' time, right? And um, I think that that's going to be a very interesting game to watch because it's it's going to be interesting to see how they're doing against one of those big teams. But yeah, I think that, I mean, Wolfsburg look like they're going to finish in the top four because they haven't slipped up yet. Um, Like Frankfurt have last week. And I think that one of Frankfurt or Wolfsburg will have to make way of for Borussia Dortmund. And um, it does look a little bit more like Frankfurt at the moment over, over Wolfsburg. Uh, um, So they could finish in the top four. And here's a here's a place that Wolfsburg is an interesting one because, you know, um, the joke is always the best part about Wolfsburg is the one-hour train ride to Berlin, um, which is sort of true. Uh, I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also a place that has Volkswagen in their back, you know, the world's mm. largest car manufacturer. And um, it's 100% financed by the world's largest car manufacturer. And, 
you just feel like all they need is really a justification for spending money. And Champions League football certainly does give you the justification of spending a lot of money. And you kind of feel like they're only a step away from that as well. And that's a good team right now. Oliver Glasner has done a very good job putting this team together, together with Jörg Schmatke and um, Marcel Schäfer, um, who a lot of US listeners will be familiar too because he played for the Tampa Bay Rowdies, right? And um, they've done a fantastic job there. Who are the, uh, aside from Brooks and LaCroix, LaCroix? LaCroix. LaCroix. Uh, aside from those two, uh, who else would you say have been critical or will be critical to Wolfsburg staying in the top four? Yeah, definitely Woodfake Horst, right? Yeah. You need a good striker. Right. Yeah, he's doing all right. 14 goals. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of hard. Seen... I mean, you're looking at the league where uh, Robert Lewandowski has scored yeah. 28 goals and is a is is now the world's best player um, officially, right? Um, but then you have like a guy like Andre Silva, and you're like, wow, he's very good. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and you you kind of keep forgetting about people like Wood because, and I mean, like. We're saying, we're saying uh, Andre Silva is pretty good. Uh, he's ahead of Erling Haaland, right? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good strikers in this league. So we shouldn't forget about Wout Weghorst. He's, he's a very good player. Um, he just seems very consistent to me. I was looking yeah. at his numbers through the years, and it's always like 15-ish or, or more goals like for every club he's played for. It seems like he just kind of routinely scores and uh, does that. Yeah, with, it, with the consistency and reliability you would want of a top four team, it would kind of. I mean, it, it does. It, it it's kind of mean, really, right? Because you are you're playing in a league with Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, I mean, if he was in Italy or England, he'd be one of the top three strikers. Yeah, at the moment with his output, but. Yeah, he's unfortunately he's in Germany, Robert Lewandowski and Erling Haaland, <laughs> who are like, hugging all the headlines. I mean, poor Andre Silva, who's probably one of the best strikers in the world right now, is not getting any even much attention. Um, and then there's like Wood Weghorst, who was playing in Wolfsburg, right? Um, who's super consistent. But yeah, it's it's unfortunate. You know, you are in a league with Erling Haaland and uh, Robert Lewandowski, who every weekend shoot the lights out. It's just the reality of it. And they're not just doing it in the Bundesliga. They, they also do it in Europe. You know, they're yep. just they, they're scoring goals after goals after goals. I mean, their output has been scary. So, yeah, um, we don't give Wood Weghorst enough credit because he's a very good striker. Um, he'd probably be a top three striker in any other European league at the moment because, you know, his output is just very, very consistent. I wanted to ask you, I have two more questions. One of them is about another sort of not disrespected, but a player who doesn't get as much hype. But first, I wanted to ask you about a player who definitely does in the form of Jaden Sancho. His his form has definitely improved of late, scored in each of their last three games, looked solid in their Champions League win over Sevilla. In my mind, he was not playing very well to start the season. It wasn't quite of that same form. It wasn't the electrifying combination with Erling Haaland. That seems to have returned. What do you think accounts for that turnaround? Yeah, Jane Sancho, I, I think we all are aware of what was going on last summer. Mm-hmm. And um, he's 20 years old. You know, um, I think it's quite natural that when you are in that age, you start thinking. And it's also quite natural to have periods of inconsistency in, in your play when you're that age. And I mean, 
I'm now having this 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 Twitter thing where every match day I'm essentially like, oh, Jaden Sancho is now 12 goals and 16 assists in 31 yeah. games, right? Um, and that number keeps growing and growing. It's it's quite remarkable. I mean, he's 21 games now, six goals, 11 assists in the Bundesliga. That's not bad. <laughs> no. And that number is only going to go up because of what you've pointed out, right? I mean, in the Champions League, it's uh, two goals and three assists after a slow start. He's been in very good form. He's he's been quite excellent. And I get the sense now that he is really enjoying um, playing for Dortmund. Hmm. You, I thought it was really telling the reactions that you had from Erling Haaland and Jaden Sancho after the Riviera derby. You know, the, the derby having been played without fans. And the way the two of them celebrated it in particular... I thought it was quite telling and quite showed a lot that they don't just treat this place as a place that they're like, you know, they're going to play in in a few years and then they're just going to move on. I think there's more to the, to the story here. And it kind of makes you wonder that what will happen if Dortmund finish in the top four? I think, you know, Haaland will stay 100% if Dortmund finish in the top four. There's no way, um, especially now that there's apparently talks um, look, Stories emerging that his exit clause in 2022 is a lot higher than initially thought. And um, with Sancho, I mean, he's under contract until 2023. There is no hurry to sell him this summer, right? Um, the team that is the most was the most interested in him, Manchester United, seemed to have moved on. There is talks and suggestions about Chelsea. And that's a different story and entirely. I know that Thomas Tuchel would like to add him, but he'll probably have to sell a few wingers first because there's there's a bunch of them under contract at Chelsea. So it it really begs the question, what is going to happen to Jaden Sancho in the summer if Dortmund reached top four? I think it would be an interesting one to to watch because I was certain that this was his last season in Dortmund. But if they finish top four, I wouldn't necessarily bet my house on it. All right. Marco Rosa is definitely hoping they finish top four then to keep uh, yeah. both of those players there. Uh, so we're not sure what will happen with Dortmund, with Wolfsburg, with Frankfurt. It feels pretty safe to say that Bayern Munich are going to qualify for the Champions League. It also mm -hmm. feels pretty safe to say they're probably going to win the title. Uh, it's still. Oh, I wouldn't bet my house on that. You think? No. All right. It's what, two points right now separating them in Leipzig? Yeah. And uh, it's the Klassiker on the weekend. I'm excited. I'm excited, Manuel. That was the noise of me being excited. But I do have one last question for you before I go think about that one. Uh, Bayern Munich crushed Köln 5-1 uh, this uh -huh. past weekend. Lewandowski scored a brace, which is, I believe, now required by German law. Hansi <laughs> Flick singled out Leon Goretzka, though, in his post-match comments. And that's a player who I feel like you mentioned him earlier uh, when we were talking Schalke. But he's one who, when it comes to Bayern, I, I think... At least on this show, we don't ever really talk about him. We talk about Thomas Muller and Joshua Kimiak and obviously Lewandowski. We don't talk about the kind of strengths of Goretzka and what he brings to that team. So I wanted to ask you how important you think Leon Goretzka is for the current Bayern Munich. Oh, he's very important. I think there's, um, there's probably three or four players that Bayern cannot replace. You know, they, there's a bunch of players where they can just rotate in and out. But um, there's a spine at the club, you know, starts with Neuer, Kimmich, Goretzka, Thomas Müller and Lewandowski. And that's, that's the, that's the very, very foundation that this 11 is built on. And 
you see it. One of them is gone. You know, they're still very good. Bayern Munich are very good at football. This is this is something that, that I that I don't want to. You we do talk about all their weaknesses and all that, and uh, oh yeah, look at they're slipping up here and they're dropping points there, and um, and then they go into Champions League and they, they destroy some top team from yeah. some other European league. And you're like, huh? I guess they are pretty good. Maybe I'm just used to it, you know? Like um, because I watched that Lazio game and I was like, oh, I don't know, Bayern have a lot of weaknesses. How is that going to go against an Italian defense? I'm like. Wow. It went all right. It went all right. <laughs> it went all right. I mean, that's could have been double digits if they wanted it to be. You know, like and I, then I realized, like, wow. Then you realize how good teams like Bielefeld are, and you know that I have taken points of them, right? Or Frankfurt when their performance against Bayern Munich, how good that performance actually was, because we don't. It seems like in German football we don't quite appreciate it anymore, until we see them do it against some poor team from London or Rome or hmm. Spain, right? And just absolutely go and dismantle them. Um, and I think that's, that's is a couple points to be made about this. I think it, it underlines that the Bundesliga is maybe stronger than a lot of people think, but it also shows that Bayern are just very good at football, but it also shows how important some of these players are for Bayern. And if they're, if they're not on the field, they're probably still good enough to beat you. But they are fundamentally weaker for it, right? And Leon Goretzka yeah. is—I mean—he brings structure and strength to the to the play. I think Kimmich organizes this at all, but it's Goretzka has that ability to to to, to bring possession and power to the pitch like no one else does. And there is certain what I find really fascinating when you talk and look at certain players and their abilities—they all bring something to the game that allows them to play a certain position, but they all interpret the position very differently than, you know, the position is actually supposed to be played. And that's that's the case. I mean, Robert Lewandowski is not a full-out number nine. He could also be a playmaker, right? Thomas Müller has long a time, go, long time ago given up on even trying to uh, play like a number 10. He's just invented a new position for him altogether. Goretzka is this roaming power number eight, maybe? Kimmich is a playmaker who plays as a central defender. And Manuel Neuer is a sweeper keeper. I mean, like, <laughs> you have, like, you, have, you know, like, that, that is, that, that's so hard to calculate if you're an opponent yeah. because you, you know in what positions they are playing, but they all interpret their positions so very differently. And I think that's really what, what brings the strength to, to this particular side that you have certain players. I mean, you can go take this even further and look at Alfonso Davies. Like, he's not a left back. Are you kidding me? He's just playing on that position. And I find that really interesting that Bayern Munich, like no other team, have really been able to do that, that they're finding these players that they occupy a certain position on a piece of paper, but they interpret it very different than any other player in the world would do. And they're doing it on a level that is not reached by anyone at the moment. You know, maybe City. I, I am really curious to see how they would do against City. I think that is the one club that could maybe be dangerous for them in Europe. Um, but yeah, it's like Goretzka has been phenomenal. Um, and, you know, there's been so many players for them where you just look and you, you don't really notice it until they're not there. And you realize like, yeah, this player is actually phenomenal. This player is world class. Like what are we talking about here? This is a player who, you know, who's, 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 doing things on the field that we haven't seen previously. And that's that's incredible. 
All right. So the takeaway from this interview can be some good times for some Bundesliga clubs, less so for others. For you, Manuel, uh, what have you got going on? Where can people read more from you, hear more from you? Yeah, you can find all all my stuff pretty much on Transfermarkt. Uh-huh. I still do the the uh, contributions for Forbes, so I'm doing more longer longer articles, more on the financial aspects of stuff for Forbes. Um, we got the Gegenpressing podcast, so if you want your weekly Bundesliga fix, um, we we are on pretty much any we're everywhere. We're on Spotify, um, iTunes. I don't know what else is out there, Tyler. Like, you can find hey, it. wherever you can listen to podcasts. We are on it. <laughs> Any podcast, anywhere you can find it. There we go. All right, yeah. Well, Manuel, thank you so much. I will let you go so you can watch some uh, some knockout games in Germany. But for now, thank you once again for taking the time. Oh, this was wonderful. Anytime. Appreciate it very much. Listeners, thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you all again very soon. Cheers. Cheers.